Now I'd like to introduce tonight's moderator, Mr. Joe Matthews. Joe Matthews is the author of The People's Machine, Arnold Schwarzenegger and the Rise of Blockbuster Democracy, and is the co-author of California Crack Up. He is Sokolo's California editor, a contributing writer for the Los Angeles Times, co-president of the Global Forum on Modern Direct Democracy, a fellow at the Center for Social Cohesion at Arizona State University, where he is a professor of practice, and most importantly, my favorite moderator, Mr. Joe Matthews. Thanks so much for being here. Um, thanks to my colleagues at Zocalo and at ASU, especially um, the Cronkite School with the Dean Mark Lodato. Um, this is a terrific panel of, uh, of three um, incredible journalists with incredibly different backgrounds. Um, and let's get into it. I, I must confess that the first time I was told that I was going to be moderating this panel, I felt um, great physical pain. And, and it was a flashback, actually, for me to a, a moment of real physical pain uh, in 2003 outside the county office buildings in, um, in Norwalk, down in L.A. County, uh, where uh, candidates must go to file papers uh, when they run for office. Uh, the recall election was, uh, had been scheduled, and people were going to um, uh, run for governor. And I was there sort of staking it out, covering it for the L.A. Times, when Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, walked up the stairs um, to go file his papers, trailed closely by Arianna Huffington, who wanted to get the full benefit of Arnold's sort of press crowd that had assembled. Um, and I was sitting there with respectful distance trying to get a question. Arnold was ignoring me. And then all this next thing I knew, I had, my head had hit the ground. Um, and I had um, been mowed over, it turned out, uh, sort of bowled over by um, teams of uh, reporters, crews from uh, Access Hollywood and Inside Edition. Um, who I stood at my sort of LA Times respectful distance. Well, they wandered right up to Arnold and got answers to questions and, and were undeterred by security and various rope lines and things. And I must say that once I had determined that I had, uh, did not mean medical attention, I, I sort of, you know, had to question in my mind, you know, should I be angry at these people who, who hadn't managed sort of, you know, managed to follow, you know, journalistic decorum, at least among us political reporters who covered California politics? Or should I learn something from them uh, and figure out, you know, maybe what kind of martial arts training they were giving people at Access? So uh, that's kind of the question of tonight. Um, you know, we, we, the entertainment culture is what it is. It's here. Um, even if, you, if you're just standing there, it can knock you over. Um, so if you're a journalist or a consumer journalism, I mean, the question becomes, how do we, you know, we get the, the, the journalism we need to, particularly around politics and government, uh, the mayor of democracy, you know, in our country, how do, we, um, how do we get that in that culture? How do journalists negotiate that culture? Do you fight it? Um, or can you cleverly use it to your advantage? Um, I'll introduce each of the panelists as, as we get into this. Um, first, I'm going to start um, with Charles. Um, Lati Boudier, uh, Boudier. Um, there's actually a thing on YouTube that tells you how to pronounce its name, but I don't recommend it, it's wrong. Um, um, he helped launch the freshman season of TMZ, he's the co-executive producer, um, and prior to TMZ, um, he spent eight years at Extra, uh, which is the pop culture news magazine strip produced by Telepicture Productions, produced nearly 2,500 episodes there. Um, Something I haven't yeah, said yet, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Um, and uh, before Extra, he worked at uh, KTVK, TV in Phoenix, which was then the ABC affiliate, um, and he produced the nightly 10 p.m. newscast. Uh, he went to ASU, majored in broadcast journalism. Now, um, you know, TMZ can be a punching bag for a lot of people. I mean, you've been blamed for the decline of civilization, I've seen in some of the clips. Um, so I want to give you the opportunity to turn the tables a little bit. Um, your consumer media. all of civilization? Well, to turn it on, it? on, on right. journalism, on, on, on when you consume, when you read, when you see, uh, you know, networks, newspapers, uh, do political coverage, do coverage about government. You know, how do you look at those stories? Are there things that you know from the work you've done at TMZ that makes you think, hey, you know, this could be done better, that could be done better? Uh, <clears throat> okay, I'm going to take down civilization now. Uh, <laughs> no, I listen. I mean, TMZ just dabbles in politics at this point. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think what we do, what we do is, well, I think, part of the menu at this point. Uh, the way people need to learn about politicians. What we're trying to do is just make politicians personalities. We're trying to get people interested in, when we do politics, it's more, I guess we'd say, on the surface. We're not talking about policy. We're not talking about how uh, this senator voted on a particular bill. Uh, we're just talking more about the personality of that person. Because I do think that uh, there's become there's a new, new interest now in finding out about these people, not just as politicians, but I think you can draw people in to learn about their policy if you tell them a little bit about the person aside from politics. Um, we've, some of our most uh, trafficked political stories were, uh, for instance, uh, Aaron Schock. We have a photo of him showing his abs. Aaron Schock was ripped. Who knew? It's a congressman from, from uh, Illinois. Illinois, yes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Representative Schock, uh, I, I hate to use it, was shocked at the interest he got when we put that photo up. Uh, suddenly, he had constituents who were reaching out to him. They never, ever, they didn't even know, they didn't even know that he was their representative. And they're like, well, wait a second. This Aaron Schock guy is interesting. And you know what? It's funny, and because it is like, wow, it took a photo of the guy's abs for them to like pay attention. You could say that's sad, and personally, I do think it is a little sad that people should be interested anyway. Uh, but if that's what it takes to get them in the church, as they say, then that's what it takes. And and now Aaron Schock has people in his in his, his constituents who are actually paying attention to you know how he votes on things, whether they like it or dislike it. That's you know something he's got to deal with, but. At least now they're interested, and they know who Aaron Schock is. The, um, I want to push you a little more, maybe this to give us a little window on how the, the sausage is made at, at mm -hmm. TMZ. Um, you have been often praised, and we had an essay just uh, the other day at Zocalo from an author named Bridget Callahan Harrison, author of uh, political scientist, author of a lot of books on American politics, who argues that TMZ, I mean, you can talk about the subject matter, but that as a news organization, it's it's a lot more vigilant than a lot of the, the major news organizations. It's got a sort of machine of reporting presence, di real reporting disciplines of phone calls and, and, and a lot of the sort of the checks that, that mm -hmm. other places don't do. Is that, is that true? I mean, what is like it? Like basic journalism? Uh, well, yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm not trying to, it's like uh, people say that a lot and they go, God, how, how do you guys get all those stories? How do you, it's not really, uh, 
there's no magic formula other than, like you said, making phone calls, making, you know, three dozen phone calls, whatever it is. We were just having a conversation about people hanging up on you, that you kind of get used to that. If you're act doing actual reporting, you'll get used to people hanging up on you because they're going to. Um, that's the only way you're going to find, and you, and you got to, when they hang up, you got to say, all right, now who do I call? And you call the next person, you call the next person. We always tell uh, new employees when we have PAs who want to become, become producers at TMZ, we say, you know, how many phone calls did you make? And you, if there's a story you're working on, well, I called this person and they said they're going to give me a call back. Okay, well, what are you doing? Why are you waiting for them to call you back? You're going to lose the story to the other person who's actually making another phone call and trying to find out what it is you're trying to find out. There's always more than one way to skin a cat. So don't wait. I mean, our, our thing is always make as many phone calls as it takes in as short a period of time, time as necessary and get the information when you have it. And when we have confirmed it with multiple sources, then we publish. But you can't wait. And that's, that's the new environment of journalism is if you wait, you lose. Let me, let me bring Aaron into this conversation. He's the inaugural uh, Walter Conkright Professor of Journalism at ASU. Um, teaches a seminar on turning points in TV news history. Um, you, you're remembered well for reporting on 9-11, on um, right there on the tax on the World Trade Center. Um, you know, you've won enemies, wards. Uh, you're founding anchor of ABC's World News Now. Uh, before that, had a long, successful career in television in Seattle. We even learned that you lived in this town, kicked around this town for a decade um, when you were really young. Um, but, you know, in this, I'm curious what you think. You know, you, 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 this moment where um, people get their information, they, they're more likely to, you know, if you're covering a campaign, you're, you know, you're more likely to see the candidate you know, on an entertainment show, on a daily show, than in front of you, um, you know, asking, answering detailed questions in an open-ended interview about policy. Um, you know, websites, uh, you know, popular websites are, you know, about pop culture as much as news often drive political coverage. Um, how should journalists negotiate this? If you're trying to, you know, bring news about government, politics to the, mm -hmm. in this world, do you, do you, do you want to play these games? Do you want to be all over social media? Do you, do you want to be embedded in these, you know, you know be, well, a, be first, a character yeah. on, on television just as the people you cover? First of all, I was struck by the, because uh, CNN did the same thing with me. They took a picture of me without my shirt on. <laughs> and, and who knew? Uh, uh, Got that photo right here, huh? <laughs> Yes, but you didn't have it first. Um, <laughs> Good point. <laughs> there were a bunch of questions there. Let me, let, me, let me pick a couple of things. First of all, these guys didn't invent that kind of television or that kind of information. I mean, whatever, I don't, honestly don't mean this pejoratively, but gossip stuff or celebrity stuff has been around forever. So... They just do it in a different way, on a different medium, at a different level. Um, I don't find it particularly threatening to journalism at all. In fact, what, if you listen to what he said, we make lots of calls, we check it out, we verify it, and then we publish it. Um, 
that's pretty much what journalism <laughs> journalism is. Exactly. You know, that's pretty much what it is and so they do it on a guy with really good abs or a guy but <laughs> but it's just journalism and if Arnold Schwarzenegger hadn't been an actor uh, and a Hollywood guy, you would not have, you would have had that story all by your lonesome, okay? As I'm sure the mayoral candidates felt quite lonesome here, you know, last week. It's just, he's a, he's a celebrity. Um, I don't feel, I don't, I, I, it's not that I don't feel the business has changed. I understand how the business has changed. But I don't think journalism has changed. And what I, I, I think we all need to do is, is stop hand-wringing quite so much and just get back to the business, uh, our own individual businesses. He does his business. He's interested in his stories. I'm not so interested in chasing his stories, but I'm glad he's not chasing my stories because they have a discipline about the way they work that would be scary to me. And I just want to make sure that my guys are applying the same discipline to the stories that we're chasing that his folks are, are applying to the stories that they're chasing. Do you, you don't have any worry? I mean, you, you see, occasionally see journalists say, you know, I'm under pressure to build my personal brand. I'm under my pressure to be on Facebook and tweet. And there's just a time suck, right? That takes a time away that you know could what? be it, done it, doing anybody, the reporting any, you're talking it about. It somehow didn't get in Nate Silver's way. It somehow didn't get in John Harwood's way. It somehow didn't get in Jeff Zeleny's way. You can crank, Mark Knoller may be the most mm -hmm. prolific tweeter on the face this, of the planet, the CBS, but he's also, uh, correspondent right, he's also the most formidable White House yeah. correspondent there is. If you're looking for a reason to bitch and moan, then you go, well, I had to tweet today and I couldn't get the story. But honestly, it's 140 <laughs> characters. Let's be serious here. I mean, How much time uh, are you spending your, your, on a tweet? Your question Phil. was about 940 characters, <laughs> so it can't be that hard. Fair enough, fair enough. So, no offense. No, 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 none taken. Um, so, you know, so, so tell me, I mean, what about the pressure to be? Entertaining. I mean, your your old network. I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> your old network is, seems to be under incredible pressure. They they do a lot this of straight. This is CNN. Which yeah, old CNN. Network? Yeah, that one. Several. The most recent one. The uh, you know well, under right, incredible yeah, pressure. Yeah. Well, no, they are that. It's a look. I mean, how do, how they, do they do it? How what should they be? Well, they don't not do, do it. it. They don't <laughs> do it. I mean, how they do it is is not do it. Um, I, I guess they figured out that they can cover cruise ships for a really long time and, and equate a bad vacation with a natural disaster. But um, what's happened in cable is that Fox and MSNBC, whatever you th may think of it, are more entertaining. Okay, so CNN has always been CNN. It has always been the kind of public utility of news. You, 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 want to, you want to know what's going on, you fill your, your pail, with, you turn the spigot on, you fill your pail with news, it fills up, you go, that's enough of that, and you turn it off, and then you want to go be entertained, and so you have a little mud wrestling, you know, Riley's telling someone to shut up, or, or, or Rachel's being kind of snarkily amusing, or whatever, or in the old days, Oberman was just going on and on and on and on and on, whatever it was. That is more entertaining. What CNN will, is yet again trying to figure out, and is, I mean, I, I clearly failed at it. I mean, I, it's a very hard thing to do, 
is to figure out how to make the day when the natural disaster doesn't hit, the day that the planes don't hit the tower, the day the war doesn't start, the day that, to make those days as engaging as every other day. And it, you know, it may be that you can't do that because it's not. And on those days, you just better hope that, like, Anna Nicole Smith dies. <laughs> <laughs> just to pick uh, a name out of the air. Uh, on that note, um, I think we need to turn to the New York Times. Uh, Michael Sipley's the correspondent covering Hollywood for the New York Times. He was movie editor at the Times. He did two stints at the LA Times um, as an editor reporter there. Um, he was spent nine years uh, as a film and TV producer, production executive, uh, with a lot of different projects, and um, um, even way back when started, got into this covering uh, the entertainment business of the Wall Street Journal. Um, and uh, he has degrees in European intellectual history, which I, which I assume you need to talk to anybody at CAA. Um, so, so Michael, um, there was a former movie executive interviewed by PBS in 2001 who said, the great lie in the movie business and one that you'll hear all the time is that the material is everything. The material is actually nothing, okay? The material doesn't matter. You can, you can show up with the greatest script on earth and plop it down in front of a studio executive and they can come back with the greatest reasons on earth not to become involved with it and you realize that what really drives the entire business is attachment, particularly in the 90s. It's heavily driven by star power. Now that former studio executive was you. And that is true. <laughs> and that is true. That well, is so true. the question is, is that, is that, do you see that um, change, some version of that change happening in the journalistic world? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, uh, look, we're in really different zones here because I'm coming out of deep print, you're coming out of broadcast, and we're meeting somewhere in the middle on the internet. So these are, these are radically, radically different equations. And, and I want to just back up and say yeah. there's a little bit of a false dichotomy here in that um, we're talking about infotainment and, and how that might be changing things. And then we're pointing at TMZ. And oddly enough, TMZ, I think, having looked at it up close, I, I would go one beyond everything you've said. And I would say it's one of the most intensely, classically repertorial organizations I've ever seen occur in this town. And now you have to look underneath the skin of the subject matter because the subject matter can distract you. Um, and, and you can realize that you, know, you may or may not be interested in that, but within this small contained universe that you guys do, I've looked up close and I'm fascinated at how, um, how you, you work the courts, you work law enforcement, you get it right, you do all the things that back when we were better staffed on print publications we used to do. But print publications are broad, they cover an enormous range of things, staffs are coming down, and so we no longer have that intensity of focus where you guys are ganged up on, on a small area and you report the hell out of it, and, and it's an amazing thing. But putting that aside, to your, to your question, um, I, I, you, you're saying is, is that lack of importance of the material sort of taking control of journalism? That's, that's yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> I, look, what I see happening let's just say internally on our paper. If I look, um, and look particularly at the entertainment zone, I don't even want to stop and, and say whether the political coverage is good, bad, or indifferent, because that's a different equation, and it's really hard unless you study it and read it meticulously every day to make a judgment about it. But if I look at the way we handle 
entertainment on the New York Times, particularly on the web, there is now a vast amount of material posted and sometimes printed that just doesn't matter. I mean, it's, it's just absolutely vacant stuff. And it's like if you've ever driven through the South and looked at miles and miles and miles of kudzu choking out the real stuff, we have miles and miles of kudzu on that website and in that paper. And those of us who are still kind of uh, just by habit, okay, by, because we're old timers and it's the only way we know how to do it, trying to kind of drill in and do a couple of basic things like tell people something they don't already know, which is getting to be one of the rarest elements in a news story. That's much of what's printed is, is a regurgitation of what's known. You know, it's my version of what's known, my first person experience with what's known, it's uh, my attitude toward what's known, and getting that first impression um, is rarer and rarer and rarer inside of print stories. And telling people something that matters. I mean, we have, you can go up and down, and we have web producers who evolved over the last four or five years into, they're hired as people who used to post my stories. Now they basically go out and they'll do a Q&A, and a very soft Q&A, with any celebrity who draws traffic on their own and post them on their own, and that kudzu pushes the story that might take us a week to crack the head of somebody that doesn't want you to tell it, um, and we'll go to post the story, and I'll look, and it'll be seven stories down and, and pushed in, because the, the celebrity junk is basically crowding it out. It's, it's taking time, it's taking space, it's taking energy, and it's fundamentally, at least on the website, it's all traffic-driven. Mm. You know, the, if, the more frequently you mention a celebrity name, um, the, the higher your traffic will go. And if you want a lot of traffic, you've got to keep a constant flow of those things. And it doesn't matter too much if other people have already done it or already said it or whether it's a good story. It, you've got to keep moving those goods. Yeah, yeah, please. Yeah. I just, I, I, I don't disagree with any of that. Yeah. I just tell a little story um, that is in your world, though you'll disown it. Is I, you should. Um, <laughs> The single worst day I ever had on television. Um, the actor, Robert Blake, is arrested. <laughs> and uh, he's arrested up in San Fernando Valley somewhere for, for popping his wife. And uh, it, that's about what the story is worth, what I just gave you. Uh, the actor, Robert Blake, who has done one very good performance in a TV series, a TV series uh, is arrested for killing his wife. We spent four hours on it. Not like a figurative four hours, really, a yeah. literal four yeah, hours. Yeah, yeah. We were asking extra correspondents who we booked for no reason that I could figure out other than to keep, <laughs> keep this sucker going. Well, you know, how do you think this will impact his career? He had no career. Okay? <laughs> it, whatever it was, it, there was upside to being arrested for your wife's murder. Right. Well, um, that upset you. Paris, the day you had to cover Paris Hilton getting arrested must have... I think I was gone by then. I don't remember. So, so we, the, the four hours. Okay. So I go home. I get home at 2.30 in the morning, and my wife who was, is, was a reporter, looks at me half asleep and says, why? <laughs> yeah. I said, okay, honest to God, I don't need this right now, okay? Uh, but, you know, it's just, it's, I don't need it. It's the next day I come to work, and there are 15 
15,000 emails. On an average day, we'd get about 4,000 emails, or 15,000. I looked through a, a few hundred. Not one, not one said, damn it, you promised us you were going to do serious news. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, not one said you, you, did, you didn't do enough Robert Blake. Yeah. Not enough. So nobody was complaining nobody about was. it. Now, now, we're so I write this thing about how, you know, we try, we, we, this was a mistake, we shouldn't do this, blah, blah, blah. And my bosses are going crazy, I can't believe he's saying this crap. And I said, but at the end, you know, you guys got to decide too. Because that program did the biggest number we had done since Pan Am 587 crashed yeah. in Queens two months after 9-11 and we thought it was terrorism. So 10 years ago, celebrities drove ratings. 20 years from now, celebrities will drive ratings. Whatever a celebrity was 100 years ago, they were driving ratings on the wall, okay? It's nothing, I just don't think it's new. It's just, it's yeah, oddly things, more painful. It's cast gotten more painful. I'll give you a very easy way in, in newspaper and web terms to think about how bizarre this has come. Think about the Oscars. Okay, like 10, 12 years ago, uh, we wrote about the Oscars two times in the course of a year. You know, there were nominations, and then it happened. And, and it, that was about what that enterprise was worth. And then starting in about the year 2000, I believe I was personally responsible for a terrible, terrible corruption uh, step in this process. And I was, I was working at that time as the West Coast... Um, editorial director, the bureau chief of Inside.com, which we had set up, burned $35 million in the first dot-com bust, but it was kind of a first early experiment in web news, like instantaneous news delivery, traffic delivery. We did all media coverage, and we paid everybody too much, lasted two years, went out. But the only thing that made money on Inside.com was something that I and a couple of characters there invented, which we called the Oscar tracker. And we... We figured out as a lark that we would get someone to do a mathematical model and add up all the factors from serious ones to non-serious, color of hair through prior nominations, everything else, create a model that you could then feed information into and every single day for five months rank all the contenders. And I showed this to my boss and he said, well, that's interesting, but I have one suggestion. I said, what's that? And he said, take it down to a decimal place. He said, that'll really fascinate people. If you... So for five months straight, we posted a ranking of just which, a horse race. Who is getting ahead? 774.2 is now ahead of 770, da, 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 da. Well, we instantly sold the entire page for the run to, to the Lexus Auto Company. Um, every day for 120 days, I had to write a handicap that went with this. The entire year, I was doing as many as three appearances a day on your cable news shows. You know, I'd be up there being called in because they were saying, wow, this is fascinating. These guys have figured out how to quantify this and everything else. Yeah. And as you go forward... I knew now, I knew you were from somewhere. For five damn months of the year now, so, because there, there's ads so then, and so traffic what's, around so what's, it. Well, they we made that work, nothing so, but Oscars. So then I, my question would be, they found something that worked. That was, right, right. Why didn't someone apply that to the rest of the operation. Right. Because they, the, they found the working formula because basically what you're saying is a lot of what we do. I mean, I, I guess the scary part is when you start to feel like you've become a slave to search engine optimization. Right. Well, so, so, what's, so what's being crowded out at the, what's being, at the by God New York Times where you now are slaves to celebrities? What's crowded out is any story that takes 
real investment. I mean, look, when you read the paper every day, there are lots and lots of intelligent-sounding stories that are in that paper, okay? And they're still pretty intelligent. If you know them from the inside and you've done them for 20 and 30 and 35 years, you do know that there's a styrofoam quality to many, many of the stories, that they're being done in a day what, what used to take a week, okay? <laughs> I mean, there, a, a classic example is, I, not that this is a great story, I don't, I'm not a great believer that every story has to be great, I just think every story has to be valid, has to do something. And back in the mid-1980s, when nobody in this town, everybody in Hollywood talked about Michael Ovitz and, and what a monster he was and how he was, you know, he was hideous and he was running the entertainment business out of CAA and, you know, he was corrupt, evil, crooked, whatever. And there had never been one single newspaper story about him. None. He was not written up. It was, he prided himself on doing this all in the dark. I'm sitting on the Wall Street Journal. I thought, well, screw that. You know, we'll, we'll figure out a way to put him on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. And I peeled off and took two months. And I just dogged that man everywhere. I mean, when he would come down the stairs at the Carlisle Hotel in New York, I would be sitting in the jockey club with David Brown talking about him as he walked down, you know, interviewing about him. Okay, two months, solid, just nothing but piecing together who the hell is this guy that nobody ever heard. And ultimately, we ran it on the front page of the journal. It, um, it triggered this entire reversal in his behavior. He, he decided he couldn't hide anymore and went public. Uh, many, many stories, Vanity Fair, everybody came after that. We can't, if I took two weeks on that story today, I'd be fired. Well, let me, let me, but by the same token of the celebrity thing, aren't there ways to exploit it? I mean, my own experience, um, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger becoming governor for someone who wrote California politics was a gift from God. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, people read our stories. I got stories into the LA Times about really hard topics, workers' compensation, local government finance, uh, business tax, you know, taxes for business incentives. I, I even wrote a book about the initiative process, and I was able to do that because I dressed them all up as stories about Schwarzenegger, um, you know, where he was sort of the way into that. I mean, you guys do Make that at TMZ? personality, and that's yeah. the point, but it doesn't, I mean, it, was, it came gift-wrapped with Arnold Schwarzenegger because he right. was already a movie star. Right. But there are, not all of them, but a lot of people who are in Congress, who are in, in the Senate, you, they're very interesting people, and if you can get to that and you can peel back a, a couple of the layers, you may find out that there's something interesting. No, they're not all, they're not movie stars, certainly, but, uh, you know, I don't know, seeing, um, seeing one of your representatives playing basketball and finding out that uh, he's got a great jump shot and that he does this every Tuesday night uh, might be interesting to some people. And you're like, wow, so are you, so are you like guys a regular doing, Are you guy. guys doing issues at TMZ in disguise? Do you have, do you have an agenda? No, to, no to, look, uh, we're not... <laughs> Like I said, we're not going to delve deeper into what are, you know, sometimes we do talk about, especially on TMZ Live, we'll talk about uh, someone's politics. Um, but more, like I said, we're trying to make these people, the politicians, be personalities. Learn something about the personality. You might be interested in them. And maybe you're going to, next time you hear on CNN uh, or on Fox News Channel, you hear someone say, uh, Marco Rubio voted this, and I go, oh, wait a second, Marco Rubio. That's that guy I saw on TMZ Live talking about how he's totally into hip-hop. Into hip and he talked for five minutes about 
why Lil Wayne is not the new Tupac. Oh, let me go. <laughs> and we had him on and we did that. And it was like, I, we had this conversation with him and I, and I thought at the end of the conversation, I, I, there was a part of me that felt badly that we didn't delve deeper into his politics and what he's, he's voting on. And, but that wasn't the conversation. And ultimately, it was probably more interesting. I, look, I really wanted to hammer him about reaching for water in the middle of his yeah. response to the, <laughs> to the State of the Union. But you know, we actually had a, a fun conversation with this guy and I thought, okay, maybe people will be interested now in what Marco Rubio's politics are. And that's, it's sort of like we're, start, we're opening it up, peeling it back, and now we're gonna hand it off to some people who are gonna delve deeper into their, their politics. And I think there's still a huge appetite for that. Or by doing what we do, we can create more of an appetite for people to learn about politics. Because right now, I think a lot of people are just turned off by politicians altogether, and they don't want to hear anything about them. So why not make, try to make them a little more interesting, and maybe people will pay attention to what they're voting on or not voting on or what they're screwing up in DC. Well, here's a, here's a question. I mean, I mean, media has real consequences. People are informed or misinformed. I mean, I, I just reported the Baltimore Sun. I covered this area of chemical belts, the sort of the chemical belt of Baltimore, and the plants kept blowing up. And I remember asking a chemical engineer why this kept happening, and he said, the problem is, you know, what, what's killing us is not what we don't know, it's what we know that isn't so. And when you look at, you know, polling of the American public, they know a lot of things that aren't so. They think they know a lot about how their government works, how their politics work, and, and they actually it don't. work. Right. Um, you know, and it, I mean, I guess, it, I guess to the question of, you know, sort of, you know, obligation, are we, you know, crowding out stuff that would better inform them? Are we... You know, should we be using the, their obsession with celebrity to to better inform? I, I you know, in a strange way, I think that actually that's the upside of everything you're talking about. That, okay, maybe a lot of people have it wrong, but I'm a great, great, great. I'm not a great believer in the church of journalism. Okay, mm -hmm. I've known too many journalists, watched too many people behave in too many bad <laughs> ways, and. I th in a very primitive interpretation, I think it was John Stuart Mill, more or less, who many, many, many years ago said our only hope, since all of it is so bad and so corrupt, is to have maximum freedom and maximum outlets. And maybe, if we're lucky, on a sunny day, um, this, the truth will, will kind of take shape among all of it. So I think this huge multiplicity of outlets, as much as it's chewing us up economically, God bless. I mean, let, let everybody go at it, because the, the more you've got, the greater the hope that ultimately you're going to be able to feel what's real. Can I, I, just a little, yeah. little point here. Um, I absolutely, I mean, I'm a great believer in, the, in democracy. Yeah. Viewers will, and readers, and they'll figure out what they need to know, and they will make judgments that are appropriate to their lives. Our job is to put it out there. But we need to put it out there correctly which comes back to Charles, I think. In the last couple of weeks, there have been two amazing stories. Um, there was a story that Sarah Palin had signed a deal with Al Jazeera, which ended up in the Washington Post. There was a story today that Paul Krugman uh, had filed for bankruptcy, which was the topic of talk radio, conservative talk radio, all day. Both of those stories were put out by a satire website. Neither story was checked. <laughs> And they both made it out there. So maybe rather than worrying about all this big stuff, 
we ought to worry about the small stuff that he seems to be worried about every day, <laughs> which is check it out. Yeah. You know, before you run it, I mean, part of the problem with the web, I think, is not that it's killing us, it, or you. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm living fat and happy off the state of Arizona, okay? Um, and cable TV revenue from another time. But it's that it makes it too, it's like an email. You know, you say things in an email you never would have written in a letter. And you, you, you can say things on the web that you never would have written down. It's just too damn easy to push the button and it's out there. So, you know what? I may not care about the guy with the abs. But I care a lot about teaching students just do the journalism that they're doing. Check it out. Learn to be reporters. If you learn to be a reporter, you can report on celebrities. You can report on politics. You can report on sports. You can report on the economy. But if you don't know how to be a reporter, you, all you can be is a celebrity. That's all you can do. You've got nothing. What scares me the most is the... The, the, the huge vacuum, like the stuff that we don't know, that nobody is touching, the illusion that everything can be known by getting online and tickling something with your thumbs leaves this gigantic vacuum around actual information that's never uncovered. And I had a, a very simple little illustration of this last year where in Santa Monica in the branch court, which as you know doesn't get online the way other things do, there was a stunning case in which uh, about 20 young Jewish professionals filed a lawsuit for anti-Semitism against the Shangri-La Hotel, out of which they had been thrown by the, the owner um, on a Sunday afternoon, who they alleged was afraid that her, she was Pakistani, that her Pakistani family was gonna pull funding if they found out that there were 20 Jews raising money at a pool party, which was authorized by the, by the, the hotel staff, for the IDF, okay? And so she came in and threw them all out, and they said, well, what the hell? And they thought about it and filed this suit. So this is sitting in the Santa Monica court, and one quick round based on the complaint goes out onto the internet, and I'm looking at that and thinking, wow, you know, I wonder who's right and who's wrong. Like, what, what, what really happened in here? What'd she really say? You know, is it, which one's crazy? Which one did it? Which, you know, what are these, these young professionals like? Are they got a chip on their shoulder? Are they for real? And I live in Santa Monica, and this is not my business to cover. It's not my beat. I should have had nothing to do with it. And my wife looked at me and said, I've grown up here my whole life. She said, get the hell down to that courthouse. I want to know, Does, did this happen in Santa Monica? I said, yes, honey, I, believe me, I'll go do it. So uninvited, I dropped in. I started sitting in the courthouse in what turned out to be a three-week trial. And I kept dodging my duties, but running in there and listening to the testimony. And it was awesome. It was, it was amazing. And, and they, the jury found against the owner, and with good reason, after she had testified. There was not one reporter of any level in that trial. There was no local reporter. There was no AP reporter. There was, no, there was nothing. So that if my wife hadn't chased me into that, and, I'm, and I filed to the executive editor of our paper because I had to go all the way over her head and said, Jill, these people are just like your daughter. Uh, maybe we really ought to think about running it. Oh, yeah, that's right. We're going to run it. So we stuffed it in the paper. Well, how many times a day does that happen here that we don't know about it anymore? Well, okay. Let me, I mean, you, we all have sort of talked about this sort of blurring of lines, and none, no one seems too unhappy about it. Um, um, you know, I mean, to me, I look at it, I can't tell, and I'm, a, I'm, I'm allegedly a professional journalist, I can't tell the actors are running the government, 
the governors are the newscasters, the person sitting at the anchor chair. I mean, it's all sort of mixed up. And I guess, you know, there are political scientists who argue, this is great, we're returning to late 19th century, the time when the, po when the, when the public was most engaged, at least it was a limited public, well, you know, less than half of the adults could vote, but those that were, they voted Gathered in huge numbers. The there was Aaron's about to announce for office. <laughs> there, was, the there, was, there, was, there were parades, Horace Greeley could edit the newspaper and run for president. Those were the glorious times of real political engagement, and now we're much more cynical, wow. removed society. That's the argument. You know, for that, but I mean, the blurring lines, does the blurring lines have consequences for things like ethics? I mean, there are some, you know, meeting organizations that pay their sources, pay for tips. Um, TMZ, I think, is one of them. Um, there are others that don't. Should we worry about that? Should we worry about confusion, you know, about who is who? Two things. First of all, we don't pay sources, we don't pay for information, we pay for photos, uh, we pay for video, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> now, uh, as far as <laughs> something, something like no, that? No, no, I had a little something in my throat. I don't need a Rubio. <laughs> well done. Okay. So. Fair enough, fair enough. That's one thing. Clarification made. Second. Right. Uh, why, why, do you, why do you care if, I mean, what difference does it make who is running for office who what difference does it make I, I i guess like it seems like you want us to be upset about this blurring of the lines and i you're right i look i don't know what caused it and why there's this fascination with celebrity um but you can't deny it's a reality so you can sit and whine about it and you can complain that you know it's harder to cover a story now uh but or you can just deal with the reality of it. I mean, this is the way it is now. And yeah. I don't have any issue with having politicians be, or, or entertainers become politicians. I don't think that is the sure. problem with ethics. I think the problem with ethics does come down, I think the internet is part of this because everyone does race. You know that you have, to, you don't have, your deadline is two minutes ago. You don't have that thing where you wait until whenever the print, right. printing presses right. start running or you wait until your newscast goes on at five o'clock. Like, you have to do it now. And so that can cause a problem with ethics if people mm -hmm. just decide they're gonna play loosey-goosey with the facts and just get it up because they wanna have something up first. If you do that, then yes, you are gonna have a problem with ethics. And it's, you know, I always tell, uh, <laughs> tell the interns, they say, well, what's really important here? So well, what's really important is speed. I said, but what's, that's what's really important. What's more important than that is accuracy. And yes, you know, Harvey will stand and yell that we need to have this now, 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 but he doesn't mean I want anything that you can find now. I want the actual story and I want it now. And that's what you gotta push for. But before you hit the button to publish, make sure that what you're publishing is correct. And that, uh, you know, the, the day that we published the Michael Jackson death was, it was literally, six people, after the entire room was working on the story, standing around the button and Harvey stood there and he said, are we double checked, do we have this? Do we have this? Who did we talk to here? We have this, are we sure? Okay, he said, all right, I'm gonna hit the button. And, and he hit the button, but it wasn't, that was a story that was so big, you gotta make, you gotta triple, quadruple, whatever, quintuple check <laughs> that this is correct. 
and then you hit the button. But if you just ran off and you print something and you hit that button before you know, you're going to get screwed. I, I just, I, 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 you know, I'm not opposed to being contrary. I, I'll, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> for what I'm being paid tonight, I'll be contrary. To <laughs> but I, I, I remember um, Jackie Onassis was uh, dying, and I, I wrote the obit for the network for ABC, and brought it to the, brought it to the rim, brought it to my editors, and did what they did with it, and then I made it better again, and. And um, everyone was really excited. I said, you know, we ought to find out if she's dead. <laughs> because that's pretty much the baseline <laughs> of an old bit, isn't it? It's a great story, but it's going to be really embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. and I, I would rather, like, Barbara read it if she's not dead than have my voice on it. Um, and, and honestly, that is no different. And, it, yeah. in, and so are the pressures... Uh, the speed pressure is different. I, I imagine they are. I mean, I, honestly, I mean, I, I don't deal with it every day. Uh, are, are the economic pressures different? Absolutely. No, no. there's no question about it. In, in hugely so. But the basic kind of truths of journalism is that if you don't get it right, you don't last very long in this. Um, I, I just don't think it changed very much, and I would rather there we is focused one on that. area where the lines have blurred that I, I find personally very troubling. Now, but, but it only in a way that it makes it incumbent on all of you and all of us to think more clearly than we often do. And that's an awful lot of the political and historical information that we get now is coming through movies. And I, I'm just very aware of this because I cover movies and so I'm watching what's happened in the last two and three and four years. And what's occurred is that um, movies at the lower end, certainly documentaries and a fair number of um, dramatic films, as long as they're not the big effects-driven blockbusters, now move very quickly. You know, it classically took two years to get a movie up and running, just the physical act of it. Um, now you know, movies like Social Network and Zero Dark Thirty come across almost in real time, and documentaries come across in real time. They're, they're occurring. So we get whole cycles of, of film that purport to tell us political stories and, and create political realities. And I think there's something, there's something very beguiling, particularly about documentaries. I, I, this, Fahrenheit 9-11 was the first time this hit me like a ton of bricks, where you're sitting there and you're watching the movie, and it creates the illusion that everything you're being told must be true, because I see it. I see what a rotten guy, you know, he looks like. I see what a horrible thing he just said. And in the back of your mind, you're thinking, well, it must be true because the camera never lies. And as you well know, the camera always lies. In, in film, the camera is a director's tool that is used to structure a reality, not to report a reality. And I think it's so easy for us to forget that and lose track of it that it becomes uh, almost as if we all who report need a whole new set of tools to figure out, you know, okay, where, how are we being used and manipulated by these seemingly benign or inspirational or infuriating political tales that were being told. I would love to see somebody do a split-level documentary where they basically just took the, all the same footage and, you know, if it were Fahrenheit 9-11, <laughs> I'd like to see the first 
60 Minutes tell it as an anti-George Bush documentary, then I'd like to see it re-edited with all the same shots, <laughs> all the same material and everything, but just pick it up and now make a pro-Bush documentary out of the same material, because you could do that. And, and that is the one place uh, that yeah. I find a little yeah. scary. But just a I mean, quick I, moment, I, I, we want to go to just Q&A. Two, two things, one on point, one off point. Um, I actually think most of those documentaries are preaching to the choir. Yeah, and 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 so whatever harm there is, and mm -hmm. I agree there probably is some harm yeah. in a kind of journalistic sense, is confined to people who who really suffer from the primary information disease of our time, yeah. which is simply wanting to hear things you already believe uh, are that's true. That's true. Okay, that's that's number one. And so just on the subject of historical. Uh, things. I, I live in Phoenix, so I go to movies really early in the day uh, because that's what you do when you're old and in Phoenix. And so we're. <laughs> and they have air conditioning. Then, yeah, so fabulous. <laughs> and so we're walking out of Lincoln. This is how it ties yeah. in. And there's an elderly couple, which means they're two or three years older than I am, um, <laughs> behind me. And the guy, uh, the, the, the husband, the presumably husband, says, uh, I thought that was great. And the wife says, yes, that was good. And the husband said, I, I can't get over how much he sounds like Lincoln. <laughs> I go through life trying not to be noticed, well, okay? How old were they? Right. I mean, maybe and I, more I, than that's two years what I'm wondering. Right. And I turned around and I'm like, my wife is grabbing me and says, come on. Um, <laughs> So maybe these things are happening too damn fast. Yeah. I, you know. Yeah. Okay. Well, well I'll, Joe, I'll say this. Here's one case where maybe the lines are blurring, and maybe it is an issue. The fascination with celebrity. We were discussing this today. Is it? Does it bother you that the first family seems to be attaching itself? And this started way before then, right. but attaching themselves very publicly to celebrities. Like, is that an issue? Does that bother you that maybe they are, you know, getting too close to them? And why are they getting close to them? Is it just for money, for funding? Or is it because they want to be seen, they want, they want some of the shine that right. it, they get from Maybe it's the other way around. Yeah. Maybe it's it, it, the, maybe you know the celebrity uh, wants to hang out with the president. Maybe they get to shine the other way around. I don't know. The I day after be. the Oscars, when you know we're but, sitting there, and, and the single, every single off the record, what the hell was that complaint about the Oscar show? Mentioned being very upset that Michelle Obama showed up and conferred an, the the best right. picture Oscar. There, I, not one person that I talked to that morning said they liked that, and Hollywood rebelled deeply against it. Now, I'm not even sure I quite know why, but... Okay, well, this is a great conversation, and, but um, we want to bring the audience into it. I was troubled by the fact that one topic I thought really wasn't discussed very much here. Uh, we live in a democracy. Uh, people vote, uh, and in a sense are responsible for decisions that are then made by uh, our government that have an effect on our lives and people around the world. And when... In, when, when entertainment starts crowding out real information that they, people presumably need to make these decisions, I think it's a problem. So, you know, if anyone is going to vote for or against Marco Rubio because of what he thinks about, uh, you know, some rap star or another, I mean, we're in real trouble. Uh, I, I think so. Uh, so... <laughs> 
Is that not something that bothers you? I mean, there's some kind of responsibility that journalists have to I agree. towards society. It would be a huge issue if someone voted for Marco Rubio because they too like Tupac. No, that's not the right reason to vote for Marco Rubio. But maybe you listen to what Marco Rubio says and then make an informed decision. Listen to what he says about issues and you make an informed decision. You're actually, he's on your radar because you heard that, because that's something that appeals to you. I mean, you're right. There, I think that all that information is still out there. I guess the problem is it's harder to find, and it's not as uh, it used to be. You could turn on the news at 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock, and you would get that information. And now you're not getting it there. It's still out there. It's just you've got to search for it a little bit. Can I make just on your slightly different uh, take on this? Uh, you'll be offended by this in a, I, oh, in a, awesome. in a gentle way. Um, <laughs> if you go back in your lifetime, or my lifetime, um, you will find that the more likable candidate wins the presidency almost every time. Now, there are ties. I mean, honestly, you know, Johnson and Goldwater... Neither, neither exactly you want to hang with. But you want to get even but, more shallow. But, it, the but if you actually, you, you have to think Goldwater back then. He was less likable than than Lyndon Johnson. You could say what you want about George W. Bush, but the guy was way more likable than Al Gore, in my opinion. The more likable guy wins. It tells us something about them, particularly in a president. We want the guy that comes, or the woman that comes into our living room every day, to be likable. And so while I don't think that's a, you know, the guy's musical taste is necessarily a reason to vote for him, I think kind of knowing who the person is tells us a lot about all of those things we can't anticipate happening, but do happen when someone is elected president and they have to respond to. And that may be more important than knowing how they feel about the deficit. For yeah, all but I the know. camera always lies. I don't believe for one second well, you're a cynic, we, for God's sake. <laughs> I don't believe for one second. Look, you read, what was it, Joe McGinnis, The Selling of a President? That was yeah. the landmark book. I mean, you're talking about the television era, and it's been 40 years now that we've been dealing with this phenomenon, you know, the, the Nixon-Kennedy debates. Uh, th 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 we are trusting image, and we have... No, Kennedy we was, get, there are truths here. Kennedy actually was more likable than Nixon. Even Mrs. Nixon liked Kennedy more than had, she... I mean, now wait a minute, now wait well, a minute. If uh, we listen, had known... I, you can be even more shallow. I think the better-looking candidate Kennedy always wins. And his behavior, and many of the things that occurred, he may not have been more well, likable than Nixon. he may not have Nixon. been, but he was. The Kennedy let's, we saw was more Let's get another question. Uh, as a former longtime print reporter who now handles social media for an online-only news site, I'm curious, you all talk about... The the, uh, the speed driving the decision-making process, giving you less time to do the long-term reporting. Uh, but the other thing you didn't really get into is the impacts of our of big data, of our understanding of the stories people actually want to watch, and that in fact, part of what's driving the infotainment interest is that in fact that's what the audiences are really showing in a very hard-to-refute way what they want to follow. It's almost like big data and understanding the, 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 the hard numbers of social media and SEO are changing journalism more than the subjects themselves. It, it, we're, they're going where the money is. It's, it's the Willie Sutton approach to journalism. I'm uh, just sort of curious about your... That happened first, before the internet. 
to magazines. If you look at the magazine rack, general interest magazines that told you about something outside of yourself shrank and died one by one by one. It used to be magnificent magazines here, uh, New West, California, stories that you could hardly dream were occurring out there. Wind forward 20 years, and every magazine was demographically driven. Magazines had been put into a place where they were fundamentally a mirror reflecting the desired readership. So you, you know, from Cosmopolitan on down, it, it became a niche market where every magazine was, I, I would call it intellectual wallpaper, but they're not really intellectual, or wallpaper for the, for the people who already feel that way. It's a mirror held up to them. Well, that's, that's what's happening in, in the Internet. You know, it's impossible to refute the pressures of traffic and the numbers. You know, you will always do better by giving people what they want, but that's not necessarily going to create value. Sometimes the single true fact is something that nobody wants, but it's still a single true fact and is important. And I, 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 to me, what, what this stuff has done is made the data more precise. But the data was the data before. I knew at 4.15 every day yeah. whether Anna Nicole Smith was, whether we spent enough time on Anna Nicole Smith or we did not. I mean, it was really clear, you know? Or, and people, executives would call and say, whoa, what happened at, at 10.15? And I went, <laughs> we covered the war. Um, <laughs> I don't know what got into us, but that's, that's <laughs> Have you enjoyed watching the newsroom? Yeah. Uh, or has it been too painful? It hasn't. It's been funny to me because I, um, I, I know, I, there's a lot of me there. I mean, right, there's I'm a lot sure. of me in the character. I mean, literally, I mean, I talked to Aaron, and, and so there's a lot of me. But no, I, it's like most people who watch, you know, I assume lawyers, when they watch lawyer shows and doctors who watch lawyers, they go, yeah, well, first of all, no one's having that much sex. Right. And, <laughs> yeah, um, and it's never really that good. But um, so, so I, I think, like a lot of things about the Internet, it's increased speed, but speed was always an issue. It's, it's micro-targeting. The information's more precise. But we, it's not that we didn't, we didn't have, a, have a sense of it. Uh, uh, before, because I think we did, and so while I understand the, the argument, I think like a lot of things, it, it's just um, it's just a somewhat exaggerated—I don't mean that pejoratively exaggerated sense of of what has has always always been. I mean, but we would see that Princess Diana just sold magazines. But we would really know she sold magazines, but we actually knew that before. That's a vast yeah. difference, though, in that you come from television, where that has been, everybody has known that. You know, in TV, you grew up with ratings right. and feedback yeah. and knowledge. And print, you didn't know and, that, and, and now, print, because up, of believe the it or not, you know that. even unto this day, we still have editors who say, I don't care if one person doesn't care about this. It matters, go out and do it. And I where's mean, that I, dude working? Yeah, well, yeah. there's still... <laughs> right. Look, I just had a, a story not that right. long ago, and I don't say it was a great story, but it was a story about um, Chinese censorship in American movies. And, and it was very difficult to put together, but it, it had to do with the fact that American movie studios are running their scripts through Chinese censors because, uninvited, 
and the censors say, no, change this, change that, do the other thing, because they want the movie to play in China once it gets made. So our movies are being... Nobody asked for that story. There was one kid in the whole world, it was a Colorado State student who asked me, why the hell aren't you doing something about the Chinese censorship? And I went out and spent a week and a half and did it. But there was no demographic value to that, you know. It didn't. But it did end up in the paper. It did get there. Overall, is this a crisis or not? Um, at one end of the spectrum, we've got CNN that you seem like this is just kind of same old thing. And at the other end of the New York Times, yeah. you seem to feel more urgent about it. Yeah. Um, the crime rate is down and life expectancy is up. It doesn't seem like our society is unraveling. Um, so simple question, is this a crisis or not, this infotainment thing? First of all, I, I really I just, I, I don't want to, sound defensive about this, which is a pretty good clue that I'm about to. Uh, <laughs> but I don't, I don't represent CNN, and I don't want to, and God knows they don't want me to either. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I'm pretty comfortable on, the, on sort of network television broadcast, th th those things, but I don't, I don't want to be seen that way, because I'm not comfortable, and I don't think, uh, you know, I was an employee of theirs. I was an employee of ABC's, but they don't want me you know, speaking for them either. Um, is it a crisis? I don't see it as a crisis. I don't. I think democracy, information democracy, is kind of messy sometimes. And this is sort of messy, this can get messy. But it's always been thus, in some way or another. And what, what it, and this will sound like a cop-out, and, and maybe it is, I don't know, is what we need from you is some diligence in what you do, that you have to look for stuff. It is there. The, the time, I mean, honestly, I mean, you wouldn't know it from this conversation. The Times is an amazing newspaper to me. And reading the Times every day, whether it's the political stuff or the story of an avalanche at Snoqualmie Pass in Washington State or what, yeah. I can't find that anywhere. But if, if you only, only look at the homepage, you don't get it. In every sense, you don't get it. And so we all, and, and, and the kids we teach, and, and all that, we need to work harder, better, smarter, and, and more efficiently. But so do you. But, it's, but here's, here's, a, here's a question, I mean, even to refine it. I mean, is there, a, is there good infotainment and bad infotainment? And what's well, the difference between His them? department. I mean, is there, if, well, it's, about, if it's about important things, if it actually gives people subjective. a sense of what reality I mean, is, you know? That's completely subjective. And I gotta tell you, I don't, I don't know, I can't put my finger on exactly why. I hate that word infotainment. I just hate yeah. it. And when, when, when uh, I got the invitation to, to be here, I looked at the subreddit, I said, infotainment. I, I, look, it's either entertainment or, right. in fact, what we found in research is that you know, we, people don't, it's almost like people don't like the word news. It's like it's become yeah. a bad word. Yeah. Yeah. And people don't seek out news. They're getting news, but they don't like to call it news. Um, they want to be entertained. Right. And it's sort of what Aaron was saying about maybe people watch uh, MSNBC or Fox News Channel because they're entertained while they're getting their news. They don't want just news. And that's why, and so, I don't know what it is about the word infotainment, but I'm getting off the subject. Uh, I don't think it's a crisis, and I don't think you can say whether there's bad infotainment or good infotainment. It's whatever people want. I mean, like you said, it's a democracy, and if you want to read about Paris Hilton or Lindsay Lohan's latest, and you want to go to TMZ, that's great, and if you don't want to, you have the right to go 
read the New York Times every I day. I would say almost can, exactly I mean, the same thing, but differently. And I mean, just I, I think you're right. It is, it is not a crisis because for it to be a crisis, you would have to believe that things were wonderful before and that wonderful has died now <laughs> and that what is going to happen. And I think you'd have to be an idiot to, to think that's true. It's just not. But it is a time of enormous chaos. You know, I mean, it's like periods in Chinese history when it was, it was, we now have a thousand years of chaos and others in which are the years of war. We're in a period of chaos and change. And I think that it's just incumbent on everybody to do a whole lot more thinking about what they're reading, what they're seeing, what's going in, what it means, what they're getting it, than it used to be. It's a, I, can you imagine? I don't think that 10 or 15 years ago that you would have had get-togethers like this, and they occur all the time now, because everybody is, is sharing in that process of trying to figure out what is happening here, what's this all about. I think that's a good thing. I wanted to talk about this idea, uh, I don't know if I'm making up this term or not, but like a piggyback journalism. Uh, we've kind of talked about how some parody information has come out and then it's turned into actual uh, news, like what you said about uh, Palin. Uh, I know that the Associated Press has been doing this for years. People have followed stories and you know, it's been that way since the beginning of you know, news. But it seems that piggyback journalism is, is, is happening so frequently now. Everybody's on the same, you know, uh, whether, it's, whether it's entertainment or whether it's actual news, that a lot of misinformation is going out there because of this. One person gets it wrong, everybody gets it wrong. Does, do you feel that this is actually dangerous? There are sites that do nothing but they're aggregators. And all they're doing is they want to get a story up on their site that they know people are searching for. If, there's, if Sarah Palin's a hot topic and they know the people, then they're just going to put that story up there. And that's what I was referring to when I said that can be a huge problem for ethics if all you're doing, if you walk into work and you're running a site and your issue, your goal for the day is, I'm just going to get the biggest numbers I can get today. It doesn't matter if it's true. doesn't matter if it's real. I'm just going to find the stories out there that I know that people are searching for. And it's easy to find that information now. Anybody can do that research and I'm going to put up those stories, then yeah, that, that, is, that is dangerous. Because I've had so many times people walk up to me and say, hey, is it true about, like, I think my sister one night called me and said, it was something about Stevie Wonder, and it was just a ridiculous story. And I was like, what? no, it's not true. What? That's not true. Where did you hear that? She goes, oh, I, I don't even know. I saw it a few times on somebody's Facebook. So I just figured it had to be true that, you know. And so people start passing that stuff around, and that does, I don't, again, I don't know if it's dangerous. It's Do you know what's strange is we've been finding, particularly, I want to say for the last 18 months, there, there's actually been a shift of some kind, that that phenomenon has created enormous opportunity for us. Because once everybody gets in the habit of piggybacking and moving in a wave in one direction, it makes it far easier for somebody who just has the simple common sense to act in a contrarian way or to think ahead a little bit to pick off the next story and lead the next wave and lead the next wave and lead the next wave. And when, when individual reporters or individual editors develop that habit, and I do know many who cultivate exactly that skill, um, it turns that into great opportunity for everybody else. Is there, is there an argument, though, I mean, for, because of that confusion, for that, like a very honest thing TMZ does is you have a sh you're transparent. You're as transparent as heck. You have a show that shows your process. I mean, 
You know, that's, should everyone do that? Sometimes. Yeah, right. Well, but, we're but, just ugly. But I mean, but 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 someone who's on Team Z could see that show and probably get a pretty fair idea of how you work and and make decisions about how much they want to to trust you. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it seems like some of you know the even you know morning shows. You know, there's you know you see a little bit more of the seams, but the it's the mainstream August things, the New York Times, the big networks, where it's still Wizard of Oz thing, right? A lot of what happens is 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 still behind the curtain. I mean, maybe I mean, they need to take a show into the New York Times story meetings. I, I, I was in one once, and, like, Bill Keller, the executive editor, he, like, argued for a Paris Hilton piece on the front page by quoting Aristotle. to the story meetings and <laughs> distract all of them, but don't show up in my repertorial pod. I mean, the, one of the great problems that you still have is that if you're really drilling in hard on something that's difficult, on the story people do not want you to tell. And it can be a big story or a little story, but what they don't want you to tell, you are going to deal, particularly in a Hollywood context, in anonymous sourcing. It is, you know, you might not do it abusively, but you have a choice. You can either print their on-the-record lie or you can get to the bottom of something relying on a great deal that is anonymous and off the record. And so I wouldn't be too quick to assume that someone should be able to put a camera over the shoulder of every reporter, you'll see a great deal of truth wrung out of the system instantly. I, I, I was been thinking about the Sarah Palin thing, and, uh, and I don't know how to quantify uh, stupid. Um, and some things just, you know, honestly. But what I, the thing that worries me in all of this is that part of what I learned, I think, as, as a young reporter, is not simply what was the story, but what isn't a story. And if there's one thing to me beyond the business of journalism that's changed, it's the gatekeeper function of, of journalism that's changed. We, there is no gatekeeper function. Nobody is saying that ain't the story anymore. Somebody is running the story. There was a story back uh, when John Kerry was running for president about John Kerry having an affair with an intern, which was a kind of sensitive subject given um, the, um, the Clinton uh, was having an affair with an intern. And um, it, it ended up, uh, as these things go, on Drudge and then on talk radio. And my boss called me and said, what are you doing with the Kerry intern story? And I said, nothing. He said, well, it's what people are talking about today. And I said, I got a problem. There's not a single fact in the story. I don't know what to say other than people are talking about a story that has no, not a single fact. That was the gatekeeper function of journalism. That's gone. Now, the next day, the candidate goes on Imus, which is not exactly a source of journalism, okay? <laughs> but it is a place where politicians go and denies having an affair with an intern. At that point, I have no choice. The candidate has now denied something and I have to do it. So what we do, because we played this like we're above it all game, which is why I'm sitting here tonight. <laughs> we, we did a story about the anatomy of a rumor, which we call dressing up a pig. But it was still a pig. You know, it was, but it, what the internet has stolen from us editorially, it's not that, we, that bad stuff gets out there, more it does. But in a weird way, people figure that out. It's that stuff that shouldn't be out there at all. The gatekeeper function is gone, and it's never coming back. And you guys have to live in a world 
where news, forgive me, is just thrown up out there and for you to pick through it. And I, you know, that's, that's what scares me. And if you want to use the word crisis, if someone has to agree there's a crisis tonight, I'll agree that that's a crisis. <laughs> More so than anything, you know, some guys, some dudes abs. Well, I can, you know? <laughs> well, um, I think at the, we'll have I to leave it at that. I want you to I, I join us in thanking the panel.